Welcome to the build-up on Balls.ie in association with Labrooks. Please bet responsibly. Visit dunlui.net for further information. Yes, PJ Brown is now on the line with us to talk some GA. And look at lads, I don't want to pat ourselves on the back, but we hyped up the GA weekend. We mentioned a few different matches last week that people should keep an eye out for uh, over the weekend and over Friday night as well last week. And they all lived up to expectation. I mean, PJ, let's just go back. Before we look forward here, let's go back to Friday night. Talk me through your Friday night viewing because there were a couple of games we mentioned here for one reason or another last week and they all turned out to be crackers. Mark, I, my Friday night could not have been any better, really, in terms of GA viewing because so I, I sat down to watch uh, Temple Law against Kinmare, this local rivalry. Uh, these two, two teams had never met in a senior championship game before. Kinmare, like the big town, and Temple Noe, the little village out four miles out the road. And it looked, it looked like early on, it looked like Kinmare were about to run away with it. They got two goals early on, and then Temple Noe came back into it and took the lead. And they were leading by two points in the 67th, 68th minute, at which point Kimmer had, 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 had the kick out. Looked like the game was going to be over, but they were patient, worked the ball into midfield, and then launched it towards the Temple No Square. Shawnee O'Shea is waiting underneath. Fifth the ball towards goal. Mark Looney, the goalkeeper, saved it not once, but twice. And then uh, Paul O'Connor scrambles it over the line. Temple No end up winning, sorry, uh, Kim Mayer end up winning by a point. It was uh, so their second win of the senior championship. It was, uh, it was, it was a mad game. Uh, so then I was for the keeper as well, that if that, that's up on the ball site. And like, I mean, the save, the second save he makes where he kind of fishes the ball out yeah. from the net just before, before it crosses the line. But he, he just gets the power out straight to Paul O'Connor who gets it back in again. It was, uh, like, like, like it was the, the drama there at the end of the game and I, like there was, there was everything in that um, I, I thought you know I can't get much better than that so I like I, I have a brief look at Twitter like oh god Tullerone are uh, really putting up to Belly Hill here so switch it on it looks like Tullerone are about to the inter- All-Ireland champions are about to beat the All-Ireland senior champions uh, that was they were up by three points uh, they were playing really well that was until uh, I think it was this little moment of genius in middle field from Brian Cody lobs the ball into T- into TJ TJ who was kind of misfiring for late on in the game he had a goal chance he missed he had he missed a couple of frees but then he fist, he uh, hand passes the ball over to the older brother Owen and Owen slots it underneath the Tullerone keeper and that's it it's a draw between uh, Tullerone and uh, Belly Hill. We're always in Tullerone and Ballyhale. We're still none the wiser whether it's league or championship or what's going on in that competition. If anybody <laughs> listening can clarify that for us. It's called the Senior Hurling League on Kilkenny website, but yet people were referring to it as the championship. Not fully sure what's going on there, but that's the, that's the, the wonder of local GEA competitions. There's lots of different structures. There's lots of different things going on around the country. Sometimes you're kind of having to figure out what the hell is this about? Other times you don't even need to know the context, like that golden player at the weekend. doesn't matter who the teams are. It doesn't matter what the thing was. It was just great to watch. Um, but there's plenty more, obviously, this week to look forward to. You mentioned Ken Mayer there. Ken Mayer playing Dr. Croaks on Friday night is one of the standard games. Tonight you've got St. Vincent's against Bally Bowden. Uh, there's a couple of other games up across. Actually, Mick, I think you have the list 
the games that are happening on TG Carter across the weekend. Yeah, TG Carter and RT Mark. So you've got um, on Friday night on TG Carter, you've got Donegal Football Championship, a massive one with St. Eunan's against Kilcar. That's on at um, half seven. Then on Saturday night on RTE, it's Limerick Hurling. You've got uh, Dune versus Patrick's Well and Adair versus Kilmanach. Kilmanach. They're two actually very interesting games. Patrick's Well are, um, you know, they won it last year and have gone very well again so far. They'll probably win that one. That's on a half seven. But the one before that, um, Adair versus Kilmanach, you're probably talking about the third and fourth team. The Pearshig obviously not not involved in, in Limerick. So that'll actually be a great a great clash with lots of um lots of county players that you'll kind of know as well from that one. Um Declan Hannon is uh the Adair captain. That's where the Lee McCarthy went first when Limerick won the um All Ireland a couple of years ago. And then on Sunday, um we've got quarterfinals of the Wexford Hurling Championship already because we know how Wexford are just flying through these things and want it over with as quick as possible quick so Davy and the boys can get back training. But um that's uh Fade Harriers versus um P- PJ help me out with the name of this club again. I well I would say Shell Maliers. Shell Maliers, uh, a great name. Shell that's that's probably the best named uh, GA fixture I've ever seen. Fade Harriers against Shell Maliers. Uh, that's Lee Chin's Fade Harriers as well. So if you want to watch a little bit of Lee Chin on Friday at two thirty on TG Carter, uh, that's the place for you. And then uh, Mayo Championship on the and it's the third TG Carter coverage with uh, Castle Bar versus Breffy. Um, so that's actually a pretty big tie as well. So there's so bloody many games on, um, and that's just what's on TV. So if you want to go and have a look at what's being streamed in your local area or even in your not-so-local area, the list is literally endless. Yeah, I think St. Unions, endless, there is an end. St. Unions and uh, Kilcar as well, which is always, like the Donegal Championship, you're always going to see a couple of, they're very well spread out, the different teams in yeah. terms of county players. You've got the likes of Niall O'Donnell and Sean Patton with St. Unions. You've got uh, the McHugh's and Paddy McBrearty with Kilcar as well. So that should be a bit of crack. Be interesting what? to see if we can get more than six points in that game as well. You know, like a Donegal football, like Donegal Championship actually being played in the summer. I wonder will it like bring the average yeah. score up from you know one three to one two being the, about the average of you know uh, in the winter championship in the summer. Will we get like you know two fifteen to one eighteen draws? There is actually yeah, when no. I mentioned that you find that the Donegal and Dublin in particular the championship games either tend to be really good or really bad. It's just, and, and it's nothing to do with, I don't mean in terms of like you look at a game, you're like, oh, this is going to be one-sided. I mean in terms of the, like when you look at it on paper, you're like, this, is, this game promises to be class and it could end up being terrible. And then other ones you say, oh, this is going to be really low score and whatever, and it ends up being a great game. So hopefully that will work out that this, this week that that'll be an entertaining one. Was there anything else from last weekend's game quick before we move on, Mick, that you... Yeah, the, there was a couple. There was a couple of things that I just kind of did jumped out at me last week that kind of will kind of play into bigger picture stuff, I suppose, as well going forward and watching the club games. And one is like, you know, the jo- PJ talked about like TJ Reid, um, maybe not having the best game, and sometimes you know you can see the club player or the the great county player just sort of play and show you that how depth how deep the levels are that these guys might not always stand out a mile in the club games but then sometimes you have this performance of a guy who'll do that something special and you see why they're famous around the country even though they're playing for this small little club you know and it's like Patrick Horgan's goal for Glen Rovers on on Saturday night was just absolute genius you know he actually miscontrolled the ball first you know but the way he adapted to it and then just had the confidence to just shoot from a good 
I'd say he was 35 yards out at least, you know, and just straight into the top corner with a goalkeeper having no chance from that distance out. It was unbelievable. Um, the other thing then is, like, Currafin's performance. PJ, I know you were watching this match and probably saw more of it than I did. I saw a bit of it, but there we talked about the All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championships drawing with the champions, drawing with the All-Ireland Intermediate champions in Galway. The same fixture in football took place, but it was a very, very different scoreline. And... You know, this was actually close for a while. And then Currafin were just like, ah, I'm sick of this. We're just going to score seven goals and get the hell out of here. And you're just thinking, like, this could be the most unstoppable club team ever. And I know when I said that, the first thing that jumped to mind was, how could you possibly say that when Cross McGlenn won 13 Armaz in a row and God only knows how many Ulsters in All-Ireland in the meantime. But I don't know if they were, even though they were winning every game, were they doing this to just whoever came up in their path? Do you know what I mean? And I think... Currafin are just getting to that stage now where you, if, if they do this all season, which they could very well do, you're just like, this. here's the question I would put to you. If you would put Currafin out on Championship Day in Crow Park against Galway, bear in mind there's obviously a couple of crossover players there, but if both of them were playing, would you back against them? Oh, I, I don't think they'd beat Galway. Like I, Are you sure? Like, I, I don't think they would. I, I, th- I think it can be overblown. Like their football is very good. They're a really good club team. But I'm not sure if maybe they'd be like a lower, like kind of Division Two side in terms of National League. But I, I, I don't think they put it up to the Scalby team. No. Yeah, I suppose what I mean as well is it's cohesiveness and the, 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 the team that they put together necessarily mm-hmm. more than the time. Obviously, they'd have 15 people on the Galway team if they were the best 15 footballers, but I just think we're getting to the stage now with Curafinda. It's almost like I can't, I don't want to miss any more of their games so yeah. I can see how far they can go, you know, and how good they can be. That, that game on Sunday, they started without Ian Burke, they started without Dahi Burke, Rowan Steed didn't play at all, like three of their most important players. Yeah. And they've Kieran Fitzgerald, Fitzgerald re- just gone. Retired. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the kind of like you, a lot of people would have thought, you know, this is a, this is you've won three All Irelands in a row. Players are going to get complacent. They're, they're not going to be have the same ambition. But if you were listening to uh, Dara Silk after a game with Digicar, he was just, just talking about how there were so many players coming through that they're they're all worried about their place on this mm. team. Yeah. So there is there is no drop in ambition, and it, it it's like it, it's it's kind of scary to think how many more they can win. They're going for eight in a row in Galway. Yeah. And like he's talking about, yeah, we're not really thinking about that eight in a row because a lot of us weren't there, you know, for the first one, mm. you know? So it's not really, that, that's not in their thinking. I, I, I know that's the kind of thing you expect yeah. players to yeah. say, but I, I do kind of believe that. It's a really good point because that's the, that's the key to any long-lasting team. If you look at, Kilkenny or you look at uh, Dublin, this Dublin, the current Dublin team, you know, every, like there's a lot of how do they keep going year after year and you're like, well, for an awful lot of them, they're not. Like, you know, they're, they're coming in and they're holding on to their place or they're, they're refreshing it and the team from the first in the run always looks very, very different to the team at the end and if you don't refresh it, it just tends to, no matter how good you are, it tends to go after three years. I think you articulated that better than I did when I was trying to explain how impressed I was with the move. There was a sense just watching the game. It was like, where do they keep getting these players from? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a huge area. It's not anything. And it was, it was that. It was like Ian Burke's not playing, but this forward line looks as exciting as ever. And yet you're missing an actual inter-county all-star from two years ago, from, well, mm-hmm. one year ago. I don't know what way it works these days with the, with the messed up year, two, 2018. 
and it doesn't affect them and it's a club team and we talked about Patrick Horgan a few minutes ago we talked you know how important these players are to their club teams it's just it's so impressive what Cork Finn are doing The only other thing that Darryl Silk mentioned in that interview after the game was Frank Morris kind of the coach he said where do all these players come from he's like the big part of that this underage coach who was like this major influence on all of those players where they're kind of I remember interviewing I think it was Karen Fitzgerald last year and he said that or earlier this year? I think it was earlier this year. Again, uh, DJ kind of time is uh, <laughs> absolute. <laughs> time gone out the window. <laughs> uh, he, he kind of talking about how lads are expected to be two-footed by the time they're 40. And Darth Elk mentioned as well that there is no big, there's no kind of this um, winning isn't a big thing underage. And that's, that's a common thing on two of the most successful uh, club teams ever is so Carfin and are Nemo has them, and both of them don't really think about winning like at, at underage. It's more about like developing the skills of the game and not being afraid to do stuff. And then later on, that translates into becoming a good footballer, rather than it being about you know winning under twelve or under fourteen titles and yeah. feeling that pressure. And maybe lads kind of fall away because they don't you know they kind of they don't love the game because they feel you know, they, they kind of get sick of it. And that, uh, another thing that keeps, actually keeps Carfin players, I think, interested at an adult level is training sessions are 70 minutes. And that's it. You're done. You're home. There's no the, the, these kind of team meetings and maybe there are the odd one of them. But, you know, it, it doesn't eat up their time. It's part of their lives. It's not their whole lives. Yeah, it's interesting with the underage thing. There's always that... It's not just like when we say, oh, you know, the fact that they're not winning stuff underage, people go like, sure, look, if the players are good, maybe winning comes along with it or whatever. That like, you know, it's not even just the pressure of trying to win or that sort of attitude. It's more that you could, if you had like four or five strong lads on an underage team that say, you know, I don't know, 14 level or something, they've all developed, you know, they've, they've, they're all six foot, they could... You can you can nearly win games by going through the four of them. You know, like you just up, put them all up the middle and go or whatever. Whereas, like if you're looking to develop a team, you nearly put need to put more emphasis on the weaker lads and the lads who haven't uh, developed physically as much yet to try and bring them along with it, rather than just you know you, there are two kind of different approaches that are interesting. But then you wonder sometimes if you're never going to bring two or three lads on from an underage team. Maybe those strong lads are all you need, but it seems to be not the case when you look at Corofin. You look at lots of teams, people obviously develop a different. Yeah, different you don't know who those lads are going to be yeah, yeah, exactly. at that age. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah. You put all their eggs yeah. in the basket of someone who. And also, that suggests that the only out the only desire even if you're just yeah. even if you're still only doing it for success down the line and not for the idea that you might want actually so lads fun. to go lads and girls to go and enjoy their actual sport which was for it's funny i was like this is a, such a small thing but like i was passing a you know again i'm just i think i mentioned on the show before whenever i kind of like wander by a match now or something i'm so drawn to live sport i can't help but just stop and watch for a few minutes and i was listening to kind of a, a socially distancy socially distant I don't know what the word is there listening to a kind of a coach's conclave in an underage match uh, with the local club here and there was like four or five of them and they were like panicking you know like full on pressing the panic mode and I'm thinking to myself this is under 16 at most I'd say it was I'd say it was under 16 and it was 
you know, whatever it is, the first round of the weirdest championship of all time or whatever. And as, by the way, they're having a panic attack, their team scores one of the best points of the day <laughs> that you'd see out in the background. But, like, it's pure... It's like, this isn't the way to approach it. And I feel like that there's so many clubs that are still doing that, are still so worried about the result and so worried and panicked about how teams are playing rather than saying, right, let's take this all in and translate it into something we can coach them with the next day. And those clubs are eventually going to get left behind is the point that I'm eventually kind of getting to. And this will become the more accepted thing and the old school will kind of die out a little bit. And... I suppose if you look at Currafin and Nemo Rangers maybe being the the examples of it at the moment, how good is football in hurling going to be in twenty years' time if you know we take on this in a real way and do it across the board and any clubs that don't do it are just left behind because they're gonna be dinosaurs. It, the other thing about like Nemo Ranger is Nemo Rangers is they field teams at every level. So it's not only the lads at like in the senior team Lads, lads aren't just coming through to the senior team and like staying, playing football. Lads at all, of all ability are, are continuing to play football from underage. And that's, that's kind of, that, that, that's really admirable, I think, that you can, you man, and it, it says a lot that you can keep people interested even though they're not, you know, part of this All-Ireland winning team. Yeah. Like that, obviously, that only it depends on the numbers you have. But it would, like, a lot of teams would obviously be able to do that. But it would be interesting this year, especially to see every club you seem to hear of or taught, especially in the, before the championship started a month or so ago. They were all flying and trading. They all had everyone back. That loads of lads back. And this lads doing that. This lad wants another year, and all this. Will they keep that up next year? Should we? We probably won't be. But should we be back to norm, some sense of normality? Do you know, will you keep those guys around, especially if? The way the thing has happened now, I don't know, it's obviously different in every county, but some counties they might not have the reserve or junior B or C, whatever you want to call it, championships later on in the year. If they end up falling by the wayside or whatever it is, that like it would be great if you were able to actually keep all those interested. And like I often think, I wonder, is there a case for amalgamations of clubs at reserve level or at junior level? And maybe that they're an intermediate or junior team. It seems to be, it's one or the other. It seems to be that like, they're like saying Kerry, where you have the um, county championship or the club championship, whatever it is, where you have the divisional teams. That, like, championship. Yeah, that you know, like that you could theoretically have your first team play as a single club and your second team be like the reserve players or whatever from three different clubs and they play in a championship below a level. Say if you're playing senior championship and intermediate championship, say two clubs come together and they have a team that plays junior championship joined together because. They might have seven lads. This team might have eight lads. This team might have six lads that are kind of reserves, and that keeps them playing or whatever. But uh, it's what they'll do at underage. So clubs will com- clubs will amalgamate at underage level because they've only got seven minors this year, yeah, or whatever like that. Because you're talking about small towns that don't have it going. But yeah, but what about that second team? What about the guys outside of the the twenty five on the senior team? And if they don't create a team, I don't know if that's something. I think you're. I think it's a fair point. I don't know if that's something that's ever been a priority to make football or hurling exists for those that are that might not uh, in smaller areas that might not be able yeah. to fill a second or third team and it's not even for just for giving them uh, football or hurling it's also that perhaps say if a standard of a junior championship or whatever it could be lifted by having these amalgamated teams of reserve players from senior clubs or whatever it is to 
uh, come together. They can, you know, they'll improve the standard of the championship overall and therefore improve the county team and yada, yada. But anyway, I'm going down a big wormhole here <laughs> that we could be all like that. Before we move off this last weekend's game, just one thing I want to mention is shout outs to all the outlads because you go through Twitter at any point between Friday and Monday and there's just oh, here's Benny Coulter scoring a goal oh, here's Johnny Doyle playing midfield for Alan Wood there's so many of them Dan the Man Shanahan Declan Brown still playing for Mile Rovers it's great to see and speaking of lads staying on and playing a bit of ball uh, it's, it, it does the heart good Johnny Doyle is an incredible record for, for Alan Wood he has never missed a championship game he, he's, yeah, he scored six he scored six points as we get <laughs> 42 like, he, he, he made his Alanwood debut in 1996 oh, yeah, it's incredible Dan Shanahan made his Lismore senior hurling debut in 1993 this is his 28th season he came on um, against Four Mile Water the game was quite it was still quite close the Four, Lismore ended up winning by 8 points Dan caused like as you'd expect him to do went in full, went in full forward uh, did the big cap on back to front or was he capless he took it off no he took it off um, no, maybe he no, wore it under the helmet I, I was watching closely I saw him put the helmet on they were, uh, he, he was coming on he was coming on during the water break I, I watched this game uh, on whatever biosport.live um, I'm going to have to take out a small credit union loan to get me through this <laughs> Benny Coulter's goal for Mayo Bridge was just uh, just so beautiful this behind the scenes I think we have it up in balls actually of behind the goals where he get, catches the ball perfectly. It reminds you of every Benny Coulter goal you've ever seen. But when he goes, the poor full back who goes to block him down for the fake shot, and he just bounces it and just taps it into the top oh, corner. Beautiful. Like, there was such nous in that. And you're thinking to yourself, geez, if you could get a lad, if you could carry a lad. Now, Benny Coulter isn't in this category. He's, I think he's 38 and probably still one of the fittest players out there. You know, But if you could carry a lad who on a team who you can just put at the edge of the square, surely you could use that kind of nous to go up and catch a ball and put it into the net until you're about 45 or 6, couldn't you? Mm. Especially with the mark now, because it's so confusing and so difficult as a defender that uh, it's it's a real weapon once people, I think, get, get used to it, especially at club level, because you, you have that where like you could have someone who's very good at fielding it. If, like, there's a sort of an instinct sometimes with a defender where the ball might be coming in high and you'll actually pull out of it because you don't want to foul them or you want to be prepared to not get turned or whatever. If you overcommit going for the ball... You know, you could get take a catch it and turn you. So you almost really stand back the odd time if if it's less than fifty fifty. Um, I'm not going to go for this. But nowadays, you instinctively do that, and then you realise just as they catch it, oh shit, this is a mark, and he's straight in front of the goal. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> definitely, and then the, and then there's that moment of hesitation of are they going to take it, are they going to call it or not, and that's when they can pounce and destroy you. But uh, definitely, like geez, if that little dummy, like all he needs is a yard of space, Benny Cullen. Like Benny there, he's he's away. But speaking of uh, one of the big things this week, obviously, has been the news that it'll be another few weeks at least before the crowds can be extended. We're still stuck at 200, that's including uh, players and match officials and everything else at games, which is a disappointment, lads. But at the same point, is it possibly the right decision? I don't know if it's the right decision, right? I, th- I think I'm very much on defense about it and I'm happy to stay there. I don't need to have like an opinion on this. My problem with a lot of the commentary is suggesting that it's straightforward, you know? So like, I completely understand what people are saying. You're, you've got 40 lads out there in the game with players and subs and full contact sport. And, you know, 
what difference does it make then if there's 200 or 500 people in a big, huge stadium like the Gaelic grounds or something like that, right? Which not not every stadium is, but look, let's face it, nearly every club ground in the country, you could spread out 500 people very easily, you know? But I understand where people are coming from in that. But also this idea that, you know, people will stand two meters apart and wear masks and everybody will be safe and hunky-dory and clubs will run this right. It just goes against anything I've ever seen at a club game that would suggest to me that it was it would ever be that organized. It always seems to me like that's not reality. That's not living in the real world of what it would be like at a club game with passions go up when it's your local, when it's your brother out there playing and it's, like, you know, all the people that you've grown up with or your son or daughter or whatever, like that passions rise. And I just can't see how it would be adhered to fully. I was going to say safe, but again, I don't know whether it would be safe or not. I'm on the fence about it, but I also think that the idea that it's a straightforward thing and for God's sake, the GEA is being targeted in the same way as pubs are being targeted and all of this is is really, I think, unfair to the situation. I think they were forgetting about how serious a problem that we have in the, in the country and world at the moment. If we're, is it really the biggest thing in the world, right? You know, like that. that's, I suppose, the question is like, can we not live without going to see these games for one year in the same way as people can they not live without going on holidays for one year or so and so forth we'll, like please god we'll all be back to normal at some stage early next year whatever maybe even next summer but it's a long life you know that's just that's I, I suppose that, that's that's less on the fence than i meant to be but i i would have been kind of moving towards wondering why why can't you like why can't you fit more than 200 people into like the Gaelic grounds until I was like listening to Ronan Glenn the chief medical officer talking last night he kind of explained it the, the thinking behind this it's not about how many people are in the ground it's about people congregating before and after games and mixing and that's where the risk is it's when people are like traveling to games and that's when, when people are kind of in groups and engaging and you've got people from different households mixing, that's when this kind of, this virus will thrive. And when they explain that, and if they could have put that out there a little bit earlier and explain that, I, I, like, I think there would have a lot, there would be a lot more of acceptance of this. But, you know, it's, it was kind of put out there and not really explained very well. So I don't know if if like if they could just like if the J could articulate this to its members, then I think maybe maybe there would be more of an acceptance of okay, now we understand why you're not allowing this. Yeah, it's like again, you can't really get it. Like it's I'd be reluctant for any of us to get involved in the scientific debate around it or whatever. But there are other things that you probably don't think of when you start thinking of it. It's like well that's all well and good that you have everybody spread out of the game, but then everybody heads for the exit door and you know, or the, into the car park behind the stand that's obviously going to be a bit smaller and some of some club grounds. If you had maybe stewards that were able to, you know, stagger the times people were coming and going that maybe or something to keep everyone socially distant, something like that. But like, it's so difficult to implement these things when you, we, like, you could easily, I think, come up with a proposal that would ensure People would be socially distant, you know, all that safety could spread out like that, not coming to games and, you know, in the same car or whatever it is. What the problem is when you have to implement that across so many games, it's so difficult. Yeah. Uh, which is, again, the thing, like you're saying, maybe for a few more weeks that, you know, would be all right. 
But the other thing on a lighter note of these, these rules and regulations is not being able to use the dressing rooms. It's so difficult to keep a fucking day. To keep a... Pulled out of the, the, from the, of the bad F there just in time. <laughs> to keep... Uh, and I had everything that you own. You're like, you have a water bottle, you have gloves, you have a, you have a gum shield, you have to take off a t-shirt, put on the jersey, you go home with the jersey, be accidentally on, you leave the t-shirt in the, in the dugout, or not even in the dugout, you're only throwing the stuff into it, then you're gone somewhere else. It's so difficult to keep an eye on everything when you get changed in the boot of a car. That I, I'm on my second water bottle of the week. Uh, I'm on my third pair of gloves. I don't know what's, coming, what's happening. How does it work with uh, drinking out of your own water bottle and not, not anybody else's as well? Like that must be, uh, is, that, is that something that's implemented or? Yeah, yeah. Games yeah that's, training, it's yeah. straightforward except until you have the water bottle in your hand, then go to take off the jersey and then put back on the training top and then you've taken out, you've, you put the water bottle down and then <laughs> you're home and it's three days later and you're going to train and you're like, where the hell's my bloody water bottle? Oh, wait, I've left it half a county away. Um, hearing, about, hearing about people in like Donegal and Kerry and places where you might have lot, like a two or three hour drive um, home from like a, a match in the, obviously it's been piss and rain every day since football in Ireland came back and people have like long drives and they're soaking wet gear. Yeah, exactly that. And also I would say, <laughs> From all the training sessions and games so far, I can't, I could say literally a 100% record of me in the time you get out of the car, open the boot and put your boots on, uh, losing my car keys. I just do it every single time. <laughs> I, they're in the boots somewhere. They're somewhere in the bag. They're in one compartment in the bag. They've ended up on the ground. Just constantly go to lock the car. Go, Where the hell did I leave the car keys? <laughs> But look at they're all they're all only minor <laughs> issues. At least we're back playing. Yeah. Can we can we talk about the uh, just before we go the uh, the local flavour of the J streams? I, I, I'm really enjoying, especially the, the familiarity between some of the uh, the commentators and the the players and the officials, especially during that list more and for my water game, <laughs> where the the referee the referee says. He started to get that. Sorry, the uh, the commentator said, "I'm not sure actually, actually the commentator's name, but he um, he started again." And Tom throws in the ball <laughs> in reference to the referee. Uh, Aaron knocks it. Oh, Aaron's not happy with Jimmy calling that as a wide. Oh, uh, <laughs> and Morris knocks it over, and oh, it's gone out of Fraherfield, and and that'll be in Petty Joe's. No, that'll be in Petty Joe's. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Yeah, you can see, you know, like, like we're saying, it's the between the commentators and being able to overhear the people on the sideline and the referee and stuff. Yeah. It's making for a, a good bit of crack, a bit of entertainment aside from just the games themselves. But that is it. We really have to wrap up here. We have to get going. Uh, thank you to everybody who has listened. Uh, you can find us, if you've not subscribed yet, you can find us by searching the build up on Ball City on all good podcast apps. You'll also find the TV fixtures in any of the streaming games. We'll have that up on site as well later on this week in case you wonder where you can watch any of these games or any of the senior ones anyway um, if you have, know of any other ones as well get in touch on social media and we'll add them to the list uh, but that is it from us thank you everybody for listening and we will chat to you again until we do mind yourself mind yourself